you are just joining us, you missed the best pre-show ever. Uh, Pastor Will Harley joined us in his true form uh, with his Darth Vader helmet on this day, May the 4th. I did. I did. I, I resonate very well with Darth Vader. He is the greatest redemptive story, I think, in, in film, filmatography um, that you, you can find. Um, truly, truly a great, great example of, of one who is redeemed by grace. Right? Uh, you know what I was going to say is that uh, uh, Darth Vader, this little known fact about him is that he um, always won at poker. You know why? No. Because he kept altering the deal. <laughs> I don't alter it any further. <laughs> and okay, one more, one more. Uh, For someone who doesn't like Star Wars as much, I mean, I do like Star Wars. <laughs> I just like Star Wars, Star Trek better. Um, did you know where the, the uh, Rebel Alliance found uh, Luke's mechanical hand? No, at the second hand store. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we go. Um, so as we have an opportunity to begin today, we do want to sort of give some highlights um, of where we're going and what we're doing. Um, today we are starting our, we had some debunking uh, episodes. We had uh, a talk on CRT and racism, which I, I very much enjoyed. Um, but now we are kind of moving ourselves back into a, a segment of doing some Bible studies, which I think is our bread and butter. I mean, we love as our own personal devotions to go into these things and, and be able to draw uh, um, God's word out before our eyes and to see Christ working throughout uh, history and, and in the word. But also, um, and this was discussed last episode, um, we had had the idea of doing um, Beyond the Sermon. And we had asked that you would be gracious and give us a week, um, just kind of get our ideas together and our thoughts together on, on what something like that would look like. And um, I think we're at a point where we're kind of ready, where next week we are we're going to have our first episode of Beyond the Sermon. Um, and it's going to be... Uh, I think we're we're doing it different locations, right? We're going to do it all yeah, through the web. Yeah, but the timing, it's not going to work for me at, at noon on yeah. Tuesday. <clears throat> so what we might have to do is um, we either have to do it a little bit earlier. We'll, we'll put it up on Facebook. What we'll do is we'll, we'll start something up on Facebook, and it might be like a 10 o'clock on, on that Tuesday. Okay. Um, and then we'll, we'll just do a Beyond the Sermon. Don't expect something that's going to be an hour-long episode all the time. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be some, kind of our, our notes and things as we're preparing our sermon, as we're, we're sitting down and we discuss as, a, as brothers, you know, what, is, what are we looking at in the text? Um, are we going backwards or forwards? Are we going backwards or forward? Like, are we going to talk about what we already talked about? Yeah. Well, I mean, that way we don't ruin any surprise for the next Sunday. No. But then again, someone might say, I don't want to come on Sunday because I know how you preach. I'd rather just listen to you in small doses. <laughs> um, I, yeah. Hearing God's word is always something that you would want to hear more of it. You know, I hear something yeah. and it's like, oh, I know what's coming up. Well, I want to hear I want to hear more. And I want to also encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ and uh, and be there for them. I, I kind of have a, um, I guess my my approach to it would be that we would do it on what we had already preached on. Okay. Um, just for the simple fact that you and I both know that when we prepare our sermons, there's so much we leave out um, because you just don't have the time to yeah, tackle it in the right. text. Or it's like not appropriate because this is fun. This is interesting, but how does this really apply? And maybe, right. maybe if you're interested in that, or if there's something you want to um, ask a question about, if you listen to the sermon or watch the sermon, you said, 
Patrick, could you explain this more? That would be the. That'd be the time. Be the time. I love it. I'm I'm excited for that. Um, I think it just adds a little a little bit more nuance and and, and if anybody else wants to come and talk about their sermons and things, yeah. we could open it up to them too. Yeah, we could have other pastors as well. Yeah. Yeah. That way if I have a question, you can ask. And that right. was that so was So write from down Katie. your questions. So that's okay yeah. during a sermon in Pastor Harley's church. And it's it's a already common practice. My wife does the same thing where she writes notes during the sermon. Sometimes people are like, Are you uh, they make jokes like at my wife and say, Are you critiquing his sermon while he's preaching? And she's like, no, I write down notes to help me keep my uh, mind in what you're talking about. And, and then, then she asks you when you get home. Yeah, ask questions when I get home. So <laughs> so anyway, that'll yeah. be that'll be a fun till Tuesday, 10 o'clock-ish. Yeah. That, uh, we'll, and, we'll settle on a time when, yeah. as we go along. Well, the problem is, is as we get into the summer, things always are in flux. I mean, your kids are coming back from school. You have sporting events and other things that are going to be coming up. Um, so as with everything in, in the ministry, you can make plans and sometimes those plans work out very well and other times they don't (laughs) work out very well. So, um, that leads us to where we're going today. And, and so I think if we wanted to, to kind of give, uh, an idea of where we are going today, um, we are starting the book of Esther and, there's going to be some things in the book of Esther where we are going to bring out of the text and that want to highlight. Um, we're going to talk about some things that that have some connections with our modern society, with our modern way of thinking. Uh, some things are going to be completely foreign to our modern way of thinking, and, and, and we're going to try to highlight those as well. Um, but one of the things that, that we do want to make very, very clear before the onset, and we do it every episode— um, is that this is just a conversation between two pastors. Um, I have and and have been teaching the book of Esther um, with our confirmation class and, and bringing some of these things out for them. Um, this is a personal devotion time yeah, for yeah, you. I don't, I don't, we aren't uh, planning on doing it, so I haven't put as much time into it. I'm sure. just here here for the show and the entertainment. No, not the entertainment, but here, here, well. here for the show. <laughs> <laughs> to be in God's word and... Uh, Maybe ask some questions that I know people would ask or, or be able to ask some clarifying questions to things that you say, because I'm expecting you to do all the heavy lifting for this. And that's and, fine. Uh, that is fine. But as we do so, I mean, we're going to say things that, yes. um, I don't know, they, they might trigger you in some way. So we encourage you to that this is a beginning of a conversation and not the end. So reach out to us, Facebook, uh, email, castingnetspod at gmail.com. You can talk to us in person. Most of the comments we get are from people coming to us in person. And it's kind of fun when someone says, hey, I listened to a podcast like from a month ago. What do you think about this? So it kind of keeps us on our toes. If you like to keep your pastor on your toe, on his toes, um, yeah, come and talk to us and, and said, what what was this about? And, and those kinds of things. We want this to be the beginning of a conversation, not the end. If you like what you're hearing, um, feel free to like it and subscribe. Uh, if you're on YouTube, uh, share it on Facebook as well. If you are listening on a podcasting platform such as Apple and you want to give us a review, that would be great. And just say this is worth a listen because this helps the algorithms um, move the show to other individuals. If you want to give us stars, give us four stars if you are concerned about my health, five stars if you are not concerned about my health. Because if I get five stars, my head will explode. Well, and and just as a a side note, and I've I've noticed this as well, you know, sometimes we have a conversation and, and I know I forget some things that I've maybe said and I go back and I re-listen. Um, it, it makes great white noise. 
<laughs> you want to just play something <laughs> the soothing sounds of, of pastor rudot <laughs> and then the screeching noise of pastor harley uh it, it makes for for great background noise or to put kids to sleep or <laughs> anything else um but no uh seriously thank you for listening and uh we're gonna have our little introduction to the main topic and we will uh, be back with our voices here for, for your enjoyment as we study the book of Esther. Right. We are back to study the book of Esther as we have an opportunity to go through this book, realize there's a couple of things um, that we, we kind of want to bring to your attention first and foremost. First and foremost is Esther is a unique book within all of the scriptures. And and when I say that, I'm not I'm not trying to say that it is um, not part of the canon or not uh, uh, God's word. It is definitely God's word. It is meant to be in the scriptures. The Holy Spirit has inspired its writing and its transmission to us throughout time and space um, that it is before our eyes. But what makes it unique and, and what makes it one of those books that, that you kind of stop and say, there's got to be more in the background is the fact that the book itself never once mentions um the name of God. Never once is is God's name ever mentioned in there. Never once is there in a, um, the Messiah's name mentioned. Um, never once is the Spirit's name mentioned. There is also in the book um, no mention of a prayer. So there's no uh, praying to the Lord or or even just praying in general. Um, there is no mention of of um, giving praise and thanks back to the Lord. And, and so this offers us a very interesting. Um, look into, I hate to say it, but normal Christian life. Very few, and, and, and I'm not saying this is good, but very few Christians, um, you know, think about the name of the Lord, think about praying and giving thanks on an everyday basis. Um, and, and so you get this glimpse into people who are believers, or at least a part of the believing community, and what they're living and how they live. Um, and then you, you have those connections coming back to, to us as well, where, where, you know, if it wasn't for Sunday, would, would Christ be a part of my normal language? I do like, uh, the book, even though it's never in any of the lectionaries, so it's never, you're never going to hear a section from Esther in any of the lectionaries, whether it's the three-year lectionary, whether it's the new, uh, 2021 lectionary, whether it's the historic lectionary, nobody tackles the book of, of, of Esther, I think in the revised Christian Lutheran or the revised Christian lectionary, they have a mention of Esther. So it is, you, you won't find it on Sunday, but it is, it's, it's a really good book in terms of that. You see the activity of God, despite the activity of man or, or despite the activity of human beings, like God is active in our lives. This is a truth, a general truth that I pulled away from listening to the book myself is that God was active not waiting for people to pray or not waiting for people to to ha do this for him like they have to do these things and the floodgates of heaven are sitting there uh, closed until the, the the god's people open it by their piety or by their prayers but god is still at work and is present in their lives and it's a reminder to us as well that god is at work and present in our life through his um 
in a very real way in the word of God and in the sacraments, but also in the hidden way of how we carry out our day-to-day lives. Well, and, and if you want to picture this, you, one of the biggest terms that you're going you're, you're gonna to start thinking about when we go through the book of Esther and we start this off is coincidence. I, I think that's going to be the, the closest term that you're going to start thinking is, wow, that was a coincidence. You know, that happened to fall right at the right time, do the right thing, uh, set up the right process, all at the right. And, 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 and really, when you look at the word coincidence, if, you, if you're not familiar with that word, it's the, in a lot of the uh, modern dictionaries and the way of modern thought, um, they would look at that word and they would say, well, coincidence is uh, occurrences that come up that have no connection to each other, right? Um, they just happen to work together to have a function. Um, it, it comes from a French word, but it, it has some stemming back into the Latin, uh, coincidere, uh, and that is the idea of to fall upon together or, or have things to fall together. And so really from the Latin root and from the French idea, it's it's like Tetris, <laughs> where, where things are coming down and they happen to fall. Now, what we would say is, is, you know, the great master of Tetris, our Lord, you know, sinful nature introduces all of these. It's very creative and it introduces all of these things into the world and they keep shuffling down. They keep shuffling down and the Lord is is just moving them in into the right way to make the boxes disappear um, and and clear the board and and so we see that throughout the entire pages of Esther where where these are not coincidental events that aren't related these are the sinful nature attempting to outwit God and his promise and his people and what the Lord does is behind it all he maneuvers these things and he he places them together to, to wipe the board um, it's really a, um, a very beautiful book in that regard. Um, what, what also brings up some challenges of the book of Esther is the, the timing, the place, and some of the, the, the subject matter that we see working in there, because there's going to be one, there's the timing. So you, you have uh, a Persian empire. Um, this is after the, the 70 years of captivity of, in Babylon. Um, this is after, um, the rebuilding, or at least during the time of the rebuilding of the temple, um, so you have you you have some things that have been going on in the past, um, or at least at that same time that are moving outside of this sphere, um, and yet is going to what's happening in this book is going to impact everything in that sphere, um, and so it's interesting where it's placed. It's not placed into the prophets. It's placed right after the histories. Um, it's pretty before the books of wisdom. Um, so you, you see the Babylonian captivity, you, you see the return of that. And then you have Esther, which is this, you have God's people working over here and you have those that chose not to go who are over there. Um, and so that adds a little bit of depth to, to some of what's going on. Uh, along with that, you're going to have some practices that the Jews are even a part of that. You're going to say, I don't know if I would do that. <laughs> and and those are going to be some questions for us as we, we come along. Um, do you want to give, um, do we, do we think we want to give some dates? Do we want to give some locations? What do we, what do we want to do here? Um, well, I don't have the dates in front of me, but I, it's just the idea of this is the, the, the returning remnant coming back. So this is Ezra, what, between Ezra six and Ezra seven, when the, 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 uh, the, the remnant is coming back and this event is happening generally about the same time. Uh, yep. time frame in history you have Xerxes who's uh, who's uh, um, 
the ruler of Persia. He is, his main arc enemy is the Greeks. And so not yet. Oh, not yet. That's okay. Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. So that would be the one after him. Okay. So you have, so... I just remember reading somewhere about that the, the, the time frame in the yes. Book of Esther is a time frame where he, after Vashti, uh, rebels, then perhaps he was, that was one of the escapades into, uh, into, uh, into Greek. Right. So, so you have, um, so Artaxerxes is the one who, I'm not saying that maybe there isn't some outlying ideas. It was Artaxerxes who went to go and challenge the Greeks where you get the story of 300 <laughs> coming from, from the Greek culture. That was like uh, around 486. So you, you have, uh, um, you have some time there. We aren't ex scholars aren't exactly sure in the placement of of the book because he's never been called Artaxerxes. Some translations have said Xerx Artaxerxes. Um, the Hebrew says Xerxes, so we're we're not exactly sure um, if this was Artaxerxes himself. the The book places itself firmly in the four hundreds. So um, if you're going to try to do a timeline and and you want to put the timeline together, five eighty six is a huge part of of Jewish history. 586 BC, uh, or as they would say it today, BCE, which I, whatever. Um, that's the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. So the destruction of the temple is a huge event mm -hmm. in, in Jewish history. They then go into Babylon. Uh, they're led away and there's three different, there's three different leading aways. You might say there's the first one of the Royal family. There's a second one of the, of, of like the, um, merchants and the builders and then they come and the third one is all the rest <laughs> and that's when they destroy so 586 is a huge thing uh daniel was during that time he was led away in the second yeah. captivity um 70 years go by so so you have a um a length of 70 years that places you at around 5 10 5 16 thereabouts um and and then you have the fall of the babylonian empire and you have the rise of the medes and the persians um then we know that there is a there's a time and we're not exactly sure the time um of that that xerxes isn't ruling but there's another ruler in his place and and daniel is serving with them and, and under them and, and during that time uh, daniel had a very long a history of, of serving as a prophet. It's after that. But before <laughs> um before the, the Greeks have made their their stand and are now encroaching on the Persian Empire. So you're somewhere in the four hundreds. That that would probably be the best way to, to say it. But going back to my point, the Greeks yeah. are still the uh the main nemesis of the Persians. They will be the downfall of the Persians eventually. Yeah. yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, so, and a, a, an outline of the book, if that's what you'd like to yeah, go cover for next, it. Um, is that uh, you have the first four chapters has this plot against the Jews, and the the final four, five chapters is the deliverance of the Jews. So you have your historical setting where we are. We have the the plot to uh, to wipe out the Jews because of a personal vendetta of two individuals, and we can talk about their their background when we get there. If you'd like this Haman and Mordecai, there's 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 a lot of history between those two individuals. And it's kind of a redemptive story arc in a way uh, between those two guys. And then you have Esther, her intervention in chapter five. And then you have um, Mordecai and Haman uh, duking it out in, in chapter six and seven. 
and then the triumph of the Jews in chapter 8 and 9, and then the, the closing thoughts in chapter 10. Absolutely. And, and during there, we realized there, um, this book is, is also, um, as you go through it, very, very important for the Jewish people in the sense that um, the only non-religious festival comes out of this book, and that is the Festival of Purim. Which is controversial in and of itself because yes. of the uh, the um, the use of alcohol. There's a lot of alcohol because you are celebrating it's the, the Mardi Gras the... of the Jews. <laughs> yeah, and, no beads. <laughs> I mean, it's Mardi Gras. It's Halloween because they are, they also dress up in costumes because that's reminding themselves of the hiddenness of God. How yep. God disguises Himself. Yep. And so they have like a lot of Halloween type traditions where they dress up in costumes and go and visit people. And there's there's a uh, but the alcohol consumption is a, is a big one where you're like, well, why are we celebrating a lot of alcohol? I'm not saying that every Jew would consume a lot of alcohol. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there was alcohol consumed oftentimes too much, kind of like our American weddings. There's alcohol at weddings sometimes too much. Yeah. And really it, it, it is, you know, this is a time of celebration. I mean, this is the festival where they... They and you said it so beautifully. They celebrate God working behind the scenes um, to rescue His people and to keep His promise. Um, so I mean, even the Jews would recognize this is this is the Lord's hand in in these things. So um, that leads us, I think, right into to where we want to begin. So you had a little bit of history. Hopefully, we didn't bore you entirely by it. Um, it, you could go and talk more about the, the locations and, and the events and why they're in this place and why they're in that place. Um, and, and the, and we will get into a little bit, I think the structure of the, um, the, the Persian and the Mede governmental structure, uh, just because we, we have a couple of instances where, where there's going to be things going on where you're going to have to know a little bit about it. Um, but if you are interested in the history of the Medes and the Persians, which I highly recommend you go and look up, um, I, I would say just type it in. You, you will get a bunch of information. They have some some of the most beautiful art um, comes out of uh, the ancient world in the, the Babylonian, the Mede and the Persian area. And and one of the things that, that also should be just made to mention before we, we dive in, we are dealing with cultures and peoples that don't don't believe the same as we do. They are they are polytheistic. Um, they are barbaric in many ways in the way that they think. That being said, out of all of the nations that were around at that time, the Medes and the Persians did the most for the Jewish people. Um, so, so keep that in the back of your head. I'm, I mean, go and you read the pages of Daniel. You'll see that the Medes and the Persians funded the entire project to rebuild the temple so that the Jewish people could go back to their land, live, prosper, and have have a temple to worship in. Um, I'm not saying they did that out of any type of love for the Jewish people, um, but God worked through them in miraculous ways to do some very miraculous things, um, which is different in many ways than when when the Greeks rolled in and and they were conquering everything, and when the when the Romans rolled in and they started conquering everything, um, the Jews became more of a, a thorn. And, and were very much uh, rebellious against those types of cultures um, than they were of the, the Medes and the Persians. So keep that kind of in, in your idea of, of where we're going when we read this book. Um, so let's... Let's read the book. Read, read the book. Um, do we want to do... I'm gonna, I'm, I think I'm going to read the first eight verses first, and then we, we kind of will break it up a little bit. Um, here we go. <clears throat> And here we are. 
Esther chapter 1. These events happened during the time of Xerxes, when Xerxes was ruling over 127 provinces from India to Kush. King Xerxes was ruling on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel. In the year... Let's scroll up here. In the year of his reign, he gave a, or third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all of his officials and administrators, for the leaders of the army of Persia and Media, and for the nobles and officials of the province. He displayed the glory and the splendor of the riches of his kingdom, the grandeur of his majesty, for many days, 180 days in all. When this was completed, the king gave a banquet for all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa. From that, uh, the most important to the least significant, it lasted for seven days in the courtyard of the garden in the king's palace. All right, so there were white and blue linen hangings attached to marble pillars with white and purple cords and silver rings. There were couches made of gold and silver standing on a mosaic floor made of purple, pafri, marble, mother of pearl, and other precious stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets. Each goblet was unique. The royal wine was plentiful in keeping with the king's extravagance. No directions were given about the amount each person was to drink because the king had ordered all the waiters to serve the amount each man desired. All right, let's talk uh, about um, chapters one or chapter one, one through eight first. Uh, this is that, that that introduction where you have to have a little bit of history about their government. <laughs> so, so the history of their government, very very simply, um, they he he kind of set it up with with um, many different provinces. Each province is ruled by a governor. So so that would be your idea of. Um, the uh, administrators, um, the satraps, you could call them, the, that they were the people who were in charge of these different areas. So you, you had um, the king who would gather all of them together, and then he would be able to issue to them, and then from them they would go take it back home and, and, and talk about those things. Also, he had um, all of his generals there. So that was, remember in the ancient world, generals were pretty much the power of the throne. Um, the king could do very, very little if he didn't have the support of, of his, his generals and the, and the people that he had gathered around him. So you have uh, um, in, the, in the Persian and the Mede government, you have a, a, um, two different classes that come together. The Persians, and this is a history lesson, the Persians were the, the, the political uh, officials. Um, they were the they were the ones that did the the, the pencil pushers the, the those people who made the laws. The Medes were the 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 fighting force behind them, and so when you have this the 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 Medes and the Persians and they come together, um, you have these political groups that that that's how they kind of arrange themselves. So you have two groups: one is a fighting force, one is a political force, and they work together um, in doing this thing. So you have the administrators and you have the armies that are that are all in support of the king, and he throws a huge party for them. Um, one of the things that we probably should mention is the extravagance. Um, what what struck you at the, the extravagance in this? 
Um, well, the idea is like, what was the event for? Like, what is this? Is this perhaps uh, Xerxes trying to make, uh, he's making a big move. Like he's planning something, some big political event. Is he going after the Greeks now? Or is this uh, just something to celebrate himself or to consolidate power, to weed out those who aren't quite as, I, I, this is all conjecture on my part, um, just we, weeding people out. Um, this is a time for getting everybody together and we're it's a it's a showboating and all of that stuff the um the wealth i mean gold on your couches that's just um a lot of it seems like a lot of you know extravagance in that regard yeah it it it, <laughs> it makes me wonder was the was the couch made of gold and and silver or was it covered yeah. with gold like did they have a, a wood frame and then they just you know it makes you wonder how comfortable that would have been to sit on um, but to answer your question, I think, and, and that was a question I asked as well. And I thought about, you know, what, what is he throwing the party? And throughout the entirety of the book, we're going to see that, that really, uh, the best way to understand Xerxes was to understand that he was arrogant and, and that he always has, if you, if you had two choices and one choice was to be humble and to, to, to um, recognize your own faults and wrongs and say, okay, I'm going to try to get better or to gloat about all the ways that you were better than everyone else. He would always take the gloat. <laughs> that, that seems to be Xerxes uh, mode. Wasn't, didn't Herodotus just talk about how uh, Xerxes was a uh, temperamental as well, where, you know, he would, uh, yes. the, they got upset with the, the seas. Uh, he had this huge fleet massing up against the Greeks. And then all of a sudden uh, the, the, the sea, um, misbehaved or whatever the bad weather the weather and so he he ordered the sea be whipped and and chained and those kinds of things so a lot of irrationality on his part but just that idea of he is um taking on that role of a king in ancient times would often be like well he's he's a god he is a god walking among us that he is taking that a little bit too too seriously he's yeah. believing his own propaganda that he is this greatest great thing I would agree. And and we had um, added up here with Rachel. Uh, yeah, the difference in the goblets. And in that one, um, the kids really glabbed onto when I was I was uh, doing this in, in confirmation. They're like, what did they mean when every goblet was different? I, and that's that, you know, most of the time when they would make a goblet or, or when you would do something like that, you would be looking at um, having a mold and they would just keep pouring into that same mold and they keep popping out the same. Maybe you have two molds, maybe three molds. But when each goblet is different, I mean, you that that is a lot of money and time investment um, to make each one of them uh, unique in and of itself. And so that, that it, it's, it's a, it goes back to the opulence, right? It goes back to him showing off. It goes back to him, um, flounder, uh, flaunting the money that he has a, a part of that also is, and, and maybe we gloss over it too much, um, is that it didn't matter how much money you made. It didn't matter what standing you were in. It was from the greatest to the least, um, he, he kind of opened up the, the treasury and said, we're having a party for everybody. Um, that is kind of an unheard of event. Most people will have banquets for their higher people. Most people, and he does, he, he does have a specific banquet just for them. Um, but I mean, for 180 days, he, he kind of has a party for everybody. It's a long time. It it's, is a long time. It's setting up the what's going to happen next with Vashti, isn't it? It's just saying that this was a big event. This wasn't some minor 
event in the history of Persia. For some reason, this was a big event. And God says, it doesn't matter to you what the big event was. Right. Well, you know, whether it was Xerxes uh, used some sort of power play or whether it was he was going to invade the Greeks, what, whatever it was, doesn't matter. It just matters that there was a lot of people there. It was for a long period of time, and there was a lot of, a lot of money getting thrown out. Yep. And so if you have a, an individual who's at the head of that Xerxes who is uh, um, spending all this money and then something happens, like Vashti not refusing to enter, that would really play into this was a big deal that she did right. what she did, even though a lot of the peripherals of why she did it and and why the event happened in the first place are unknown to us. Well, and and here's the other, and, and just to add to what you're saying is um, in verse 8, he ends... Uh, the Holy Spirit allows us to end with with the fact that he had ordered the waiters to to give the people whatever um, they desired. Now, the the interesting part about that is a, kind of a twofold. One is it's every man desired. So so we're going to have this introduction that there's two different banquets going on, which we're going to see in verse nine. But it also is not just limiting it to drink, and and I think this is where sometimes we we, yes, it was bad enough that they were drinking more than they should. But, but the other thing that we see is, is Xerxes is not prohibiting anything. I mean, there, this was an extravagance that, that meant if they wanted to mishandle women or if they wanted to mishandle substances, um, they were not, nothing was refused. So this is more of a, like a Mardi Gras party than, than I think sometimes we think. Um, so let's, let's maybe turn back and we can get a little bit more of, of what's going on um, as we, we kind of go through here. So again, um, picking up at verse 9, Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when the king was feeling good from the wine, he commanded... Mehaman, Biztha, Barbona, Bigtha, and Abgatha, Zethar, and Carcas, seven of the eunuchs who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing the crown of the kingdom in order to show the people and the kingdom, sorry, uh, show the people and the officials her beauty. She was very good looking. Queen Vashti refused to come in, the, uh, in response to the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs, the king was infuriated and his anger burned within him. Let's let's just pause there um, because I think there's some some things we will want to to face here. Uh, yeah, explain the eunuchs concept in the ancient world. Why would they have eunuchs serving in the king's court? Well, so um, a eunuch was one who has been um, altered physically so that they are unable to reproduce. Um, and, and this has been a practice through very, very long, actually, even the Catholic church practiced it in the middle ages when, when, um, men would reach certain ages where their voice would be a certain level, they would castrate the, the boy, um, so that they would never, their voice wouldn't change further. And so they were able to sing at certain pitches, um, a barbaric practice. I'm not, I'm not recommending that. Um, but it was also well known that that so a king would have harems. Uh, a king would have women that he would claim those are his. And so to keep them from being despoiled or keeping them from from um, 
from people having the urges to do things with them, they would have eunuchs that would guard them. So men who were altered physically um, so that they wouldn't have those sexual drives and they wouldn't be able, even if they did, to reproduce um, and affect the king's harem. It's, 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 I know it's not the most polite way of saying it, but that's what it was. Um, and, and so you have, um, you have these people who sometimes they were by force. Sometimes it was willingness because it was the better job to yeah. have instead of being in the army. <laughs> um, they, they kind of went in and, and they did that kind of work. That's not actually the most surprising thing though, about this section of text and, and the, the, the most surprising thing of this section of text, because you lead in verse 12, you're like, why would she refuse? What was the point? And, and some people have said, well, she refused because she didn't want to just be a prize that, and be shown off as a prize. That, that's not, that, that's really not it. Um, what you have, and, and it's hard to bring it out in, in something, but you, you sort of get it in the, in the wording. In verse 11, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing the crown of the kingdom. That's it. That's the point. That's the problem. The, the, the problem wasn't, okay, bring the queen before me so that everyone can see how beautiful she is. He's, he's saying, bring the queen before me only wearing a crown. Because she's beautiful and she refuses. Yeah, and I'm, not, I'm not sure I, I agree with that. Well, the, the reason that, and, and the reason that, that you kind of see that is because what happens when she refuses, not only does he get angry, but then he goes on a search for physically attractive women, which he will then sleep with to see if they are, he is, he is very, very set on the, um, on the physical attractiveness of, of his women. And, and what you have here. And, and this is, I'm, I'm following the course of, because of, it is divided, and we can be divided. Yeah. Um, but I'm following the course of many other commentaries that say that the, the hugest problem with this wasn't the fact that he was drunk and the fact that she wanted to show her off, but that he requested her to be naked and only wearing a crown. And that is, she, she said, no, I'm not going to do that in front of everybody, the generals and everything else in this party. Now, the other side of the story. What, how, it, it, the other side of the story is we don't really know why she w refuses. So it, let, let's just say your position is plausible. I mean, you have all of the ingredients, all of the, everything is there. Right. So you have a lot of drinking going on. You have a lot of celebration going on. You have the fact that he's looking for um, replacements that are beautiful in appearance. So he's focused on appearance. So it's, all of those things are plausible. So I'm not saying it didn't happen the way that you said. I'm just saying I'm just... I, I don't want to let my the, the listeners say this is exactly why. You know, I don't want to come with that kind of certainty when it, it isn't there, when God doesn't sure. reveal that to us. So, but it is something for us to consider. Like it, it might not, it may not be the whole women's rights thing. It might just be the, uh, this individual. Uh, uh, she's not like saying, well, now it's, it's women's power, or whatever. She's not exerting her power. It could just be her modesty. It could just be uh, the fact um, that she had something going on and she, she refused to go. Like she had her own party and she couldn't leave. So it's all of these unknowns that are sitting there, sure. uh, which opens up this, the scenario for Esther to come in. And I think right. that the only looking back in, in a broad picture of it, that's 
the Lord mentions that just so that we could bring Esther into the and, into the scene. Yeah, and and I think this is one of those. And and I agree with you. I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that. That you could go any any of these ways. And I think I think like you said at the end there, nailing it on her modesty. Um, so Vashti, good, bad, or indifferent, she she has a sense of modesty that she wanted not to be flaunted. However, that was going to be flaunted. Um, you have some of the indicators that he was really looking to do just that when he says she is good looking. He's like, this is mine. So there's an ownership there that, that he's trying to, to express. You do have to come into the questions and say, why did she refuse? And, and I think we live in a culture where we like to prime those responses and say, well, she's just, you know, like you had said, um, standing up for women's rights. I, I, I don't, I don't think that is, that is the case, but this enters into the beginning of some of the issues that we have with Esther because Esther will also participate in things where you're like, I, I wouldn't do that. And, and that's not right. I mean, like actual commandment issues where you're like, that's not right. Um, so you're going to have to be confronted with the uncomfortable questions of these things are happening. They are going, that these are real questions for real people in real time that, Good, bad, or indifferent, whether we like to think this is how it was because we want to be more chaste or how it really was with alcohol involved, how things yeah. can get. Yeah. We, we have to come to the terms that, that you know, um, we have people who are making, in one case, maybe very well-placed and good um, responses and now have to face the consequences of those. In this case, Vashti, I think, makes a very good response. I, I think she very she makes a good I'm not going to parade myself, however I'm going to parade myself, in front of a bunch of drunk men. And she refuses. That's a good thing. I, I, I would highly recommend if you are ever in a position where you have a bunch of drunk people, don't parade yourself through Yeah. I'm just <laughs> that's a good choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but I now agree. she's going to have to have the consequence. I, I do like how we're having this conversation. I do. I hope our hearers also appreciate this conversation of the the ancients are not at a different morality level than what we're experiencing today. Are, we all often say, you know, the world. What is the world coming to? Da 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 da. Whatever it is, and we have to realize the sinful nature has always been around. The desire to make people into property and objects always been there. And uh, could this? And and these uh, the power play that happens between uh, a husband and a wife, always there. So it's not like, as if um, this is a new thing in 2023. This right. is a, a reoccurring, a, 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 um, reoccurring struggle between yeah. our sinful nature and what what God says is right. And it's good yeah. for us to see that the ancient kings and and things of that nature were very much like the the our politicians today. Uh, you know, we in our in our parlance, we have the Jeffrey Epstein and the island out in the Virgin Islands and all of this. And you go, what a terrible thing that has happened. And you go, well, you know, the Romans did kind of the same thing. And uh, so it's uh, it's just the and world. The Persians did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. and the Babylonians yeah, did the same make, thing. Let's not make these guys into yeah. more moral people than they are. And 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 in doing so, that helps us when we are confronted with like you were saying, in the midst of all of this problems and all the sin around you in the, the decisions that some Christians make, you would say, I don't know if I'd make that same decision or not. 
But then it, it gives us empathy to understand these people are, are sitting in situations where the, oftentimes the right answer is not a choice. A choice. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's where we're going to be leading. And, and as we go through here, that's that's kind of where we're we're headed. Uh, let's jump back into to our tale um, as we, we lead up. And we haven't even seen Esther yet. Uh, so verse 13. Um, so Xerxes is angry uh, because Vashti doesn't want to want to show herself off. Uh, so the king spoke to his advisors. This is going to be something he does regularly. So get used to, to seeing that happen. Um, who understood the times. So in other words, they understood what, what the rules were of how people should conduct themselves. It was the king's custom to consult with those who were acquainted with law and legal principles. His close advisors were Kershana, uh, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Maris, Marsena, Memukan, seven officials of Persia and media and who were allowed to see the king's face and were ranked first in the kingdom. And he asked, according to the law, what should be done with Queen Vashti since she did not obey the kingdom or the command of the king delivered by the eunuchs. In the presence of the king and the officials, Memukan said Queen Vashti has not only committed an offense against the king, but she has committed an offense against all the officials and all the people in the provinces of King Xerxes. Because the action of the queen, when it is reported to all of the women, will cause them to look upon their husbands with contempt, they will say King Xerxes said to Queen Vashti before him, um, but she did not come. Today, the noble ladies of Persian media who have heard about the action of the queen will be talking about it to their husbands, who are the officials of the king. There will be more than enough contempt and anger. If the king agrees, he should issue a royal decree. It should be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it cannot be changed. Vashti shall not come into the presence of King Xerxes. The king will give her status as queen to a different person, one who is better than she is. And the decree of the king will be heard throughout all of the vast kingdom. Then all the women will give honor to their husbands, both the most important and the least significant. Um, then, of course, as he, he in verse 21 um Leading to the end, the advice seemed good to the king, the officials, so the king did as Memekan had said, and he sent letters to all the provinces of the kingdom to each province in its own writing system and to each people in its own language. And the letters stated that each man should be a lord in his own house. The letters were addressed to every man in his own language. All right, so... So it is interesting if you if you look at it from two perspectives. Look at it from the perspective of uh, she just whatever reason she refuses to come before the king, and now they're seeing that this is a disrespect towards the the head of the household. However, we're in a heathen nation, so what do they understand about the head of the household? Right, this is the this is the genesis, and he will rule over you. This is the the effect of sinful nature and and uh, of of abusing the roles that God has given men and women or you could look at it from a standpoint of if we're going to go with the she was asked to appear before the king naked with only the 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 crown now this is all just a huge cover-up to continually mistreat women throughout the the Mede and persian empire so it, it, both of those things i think are plausible in that setting 
it, it's definitely one interpretation that we cannot accept is that the Medes and Persians have the biblical understandings of the role of men and women in play. It is this is more of of uh, trying to keep the understand. Maybe this is more of a civics lesson of the 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 government understands that if the home is secure, then the nation is secure. Right, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that I mean you you have a lot of um, contention in the sense of um, they're looking at the they're not looking at why she said no. They're looking at the fact that she denied her husband. And his request, that is going to lead to a rebellion of other women who are going to do the same thing. Um, and so they are saying, we're going to squash this right now. Now, the interesting part is, according to their laws, um, Vashti could have been killed. And and I find this ex- extremely interesting that Memekon, he, he actually does, he's trying to do what is best within the laws of the land for Vashti and yet still honor what the king and and you have some of these moments within Esther where you're like even these people have some idea where where almost you can read into it and say I don't know if he was necessarily happy with the with the anger the king was expressing or what was asked of Vashti because he goes out of his way to say don't kill her just send send her away We'll find it. I mean, he doesn't divorce her. She's still going to have the honor of being part of the harem or whatever else. He just isn't going to have contact with her anymore. Um, so you have this you have this plan that's in place that's going to preserve Vashti, even though she's removed from prominence. It's going to open the way to another to step forward in this position as queen. But it's also going to kind of gloss over and 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 diffuse this knee jerk reaction that King Xerxes has. So you almost get to see like some wisdom um, being played by these advisors who are like, he has a tendency to go overboard. <laughs> it, it, it does like set up all of the rest of the, everything else that happens. So it's, it's neat how the Holy spirit puts this all together and says this thing happened. And now this next thing's going to happen with Esther and Mordecai and Haman. And we're going to see him doing much the same thing. He, the King, the, this great and powerful King who has all of this wealth is going to be seeking the advice of, of a council of advisors and he follows their advice. So the fact that he follows the advice later in the book is established that this is, this is how he, how he right. acts. And oftentimes the, the advice that he follows is in his own best interest. So, right. uh, so if he is the way, that, and it's, I like how you're, you're, you're painting the picture of, of a man who might have a different agenda than the king, and he's trying to perhaps save Vashti's life. He's trying to to manipulate a, a king who might be volatile and to to preserve the kingdom. But he also has his own agenda in play that he's trying to right. trying to advocate for. And and you're going to find out over and over and over again um, that uh, Xerxes is only he's in he's in this for the physical. He's he he he. Um, a person's character and a person's ability to think and the person's ability to show wisdom and humility don't don't play into his his idea of of uh, structure in life. He looks at people and says, "Okay, you're a really especially women. You're a good looking girl, or you can do what I tell you to do, how I tell you to do it." Which I know can be taken in a very perverse way, and and I think he does do that. Um, and that's going to lead into what's going to happen with Esther because because Esther is going to be introduced here coming up as as a woman who's not just good looking but is hum, is humble 
and is wise yeah. and is intelligent and just as intelligent as the advisors who are surrounding him. It certainly gives Xerxes makes him a 3D character. Like he is not just this brute who is only thinking of, you know, uh, it, it driven by his hormones. He is, he, that's all part of what makes him who he is. So he is not, I, I like the Although idea. he is a brute. Yeah, he is a brute. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's the, uh, you know, how often we like to, like to pigeonhole people into, they're saying they're this category, that category, that there's no nuance to them, that they're, they have no, um, I want to say redeeming qualities. That's not the right word, but it, they have other qualities. So this is a guy who does seek the advice of others, who is concerned about his country in a certain effect, but he's still a brute. He's still concerned about right. the appearances. He still uh, is wandering. Uh, how does this affect his rule in, in continuing? Uh, and the interesting part, and I'm glad that you brought that up because he does have reactions that were like, this is not good. He lets his anger get out of control, but even in his anger, he, he doesn't like lash out and instantly do the first thing that's on his mind. He does, like you said, seek counsel. I, I can't see my way through this. Can you help help me go through this? And and so um, there is some, I don't know if it's a redeeming quality, but it is a quality of, of a leader at least to say, you know, it, and this is maybe even for us in our life. There's never a day that you will not get angry. I, I mean, there it just, it will happen. But what do you do with that anger? Um, and, and I'm a firm believer that no one makes us angry. We, we yeah. allow that to happen in ourselves. But if you are so angry, you can't see yourself through it or, or seek someone else who has a clearer mind to help you through it. Um, that's really the change. And, and you see um, Xerxes who says, I, I, I need help seeing my way through this because it angered him. And uh, he, he finds good counsel. And, and so, yeah, so Vashti is not dead. Yay. Yeah, I know nothing about her other than she's not dead uh, and she's now out of the way um, for for chapter two. So um, let's do some chapter two here because this is going to set the scene for for the rest of our our tale. <clears throat> when King Xerxes was no longer so angry, he remembered that Vash, uh, he remembered what Vashti had done and what had been decreed about her. The young man or young men who served as attendants to the king said, search for good looking young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint officers in all of the provinces of the kingdom to do this. Gather all the good looking young virgins into the citadel of Susa to the harem under the supervision of Hege, uh, the king's eunuch, the overseer of the women. Give them beauty treatments the young woman who pleases the king should be queen instead of Vashti. The king agreed, and he implemented the plan. All right, so we need to we need to stop here just for a moment. I, I want to be very, very clear of what is going on. So the, the proposal that was given is that all of the young women in, in and around Susa in the province are going to be gathered. So... What is going to happen next? We're going to think this is a sixth commandment issue. It is. It absolutely, unequivocally is a sixth commandment issue. That being said, they have no choice. <laughs> it is It is break the sixth commandment or die. That That's kind of what you are left with. Um, so they're gathering all the young virgins, all these, and they're going to be used in a sixth commandment way, not in a good way. What do you do? 
and Esther's going to be a part of that. What are you going to do? Um, so just please recognize that when we're going through this, that this is, this is, uh, we're not condoning this. This is not, we're not saying that this is part of the, the ancient world. Um, the sixth commandment was repeatedly and, and usually always tromped on. I, I don't know how else to say it. So let's, let's continue with, with what goes on in the Citadel of Susa. So this is the same, um, uh, central location. There was a Juba named Mordecai. He was the son of Jer, the son of Shemia, the son of Kish the Benjamite. Kish had been taken from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. This is past, so this is during the exile. With the other captives who were exiled with Jehoiakim, uh, sorry, Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah. That was the first, right? Mm-hmm. The first time that they were taken. Um, Mordecai had raised his cousin, Hadashe, uh, also called Esther. And interesting enough, why we always use the Persian name. Um, because she had no father or mother. She was shapely and good looking. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as her daughter. Or as his daughter, sorry. Now, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed and many young women had been gathered into the citadel of Susa under the supervision of Hegai, Esther was taken to the king's palace to Hegai, who was in charge of the harem. She pleased Hegai and gained his favor. He quickly provided her with beauty treatments and food. He assigned a good position in the harem to her and to the seven female attendants picked out for her from the king's palace. Esther had not revealed her nationality or her family background because Mordecai had told her not to do so. So let's pause there and um, we can we can talk a little bit about what's going on. I embarrassed my son, by the way, um, when we got to this part in Esther, because uh, I said, what does it mean to be shapely and good looking? <laughs> and, and he's like, um, attractive. <laughs> and, and, um, in that, in this society, she would, you would have said she had good childbearing hips. Mm-hmm. Um, she was pleasing to the eye. Um, she would have, you know, in their culture, she would have been the person on the sports illustrated magazine. It is interesting how the the Persians are more obsessed with the shapes that like if you're looking at Genesis with Rachel and Leah, it was the eyes that were that that the Lord that the, the at that time that was that attracted them that was yeah. attracted them. So it is interesting. It, it, uh, Solomon the neck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Song of songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we talk about Mordecai and those other names after Mordecai and how fascinating that is? Sure. Okay. So Mordecai is the the custodian for Esther or Hannah Hannah yeah, yeah I can't pronounce it and uh, <laughs> um this is the reason why Hadassah Hadassah this is the reason why Pastor Harley and I are so forgiving when people are reading names in Bible class and they get to names that are like oh, they all get all self conscious about reading them like just 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 give it your best shot yeah um but anyway his background is that he is from. Shammai is in in Second uh, Samuel when David is leaving. He's Shammai is from the descendants of Saul, King Saul. David is the new king, and Shammai is the one who curses uh, David as he as he leaves Jerusalem, and so and then David refuses to um, kill him. Kill him, 
And also, Kish is a family name that is uh, Saul, who is king. His father's name was Kish. So there's all of these uh, King Saul connections with Mordecai, which is important when we get to Haman, his mortal enemy, because this is a a continuation of, uh, shall we say it, a racial between the Amalekites and Israel. That's all the way back to uh, Exodus and and the, the children of Israel coming out um, but it, it, it's well, it goes back further than Exodus. It goes, I mean, even back into the book of Genesis, because you have the Amalekites who are directly related to Esau and mm-hmm. Esau and Jacob, if you don't right. know, don't like each other. And not to say that we are condoning, you know, racial history. I'm just saying that this is a, this is a part of it. I, I, I think it's, as you're looking at the book, it's a of, family thing. <laughs> It's not a family thing. I'm just saying that uh, throughout history, oftentimes people remember the past and their relationship with other people, which is a, a not a good thing. Right. But I, I do I do see a redemptive quality in, in a sense because um, King Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites, and he doesn't. And that's that's what gets in, right. into problems, and eventually he loses the, his king. So, so this is the... Uh, that's where I see a redemptive arc, where you have um, Mordecai, who is in this continuing conversation with the the um, the confrontation with the Amalekites and with Agag and Ham and his descendant Haman. Well, and and I think just to follow this down the line a little bit, you know, um, go back into history and you see with the division of of. Um, the kingdoms, right? You have the division between the the southern kingdoms of Jerusalem or of Judah and the northern kingdoms, and you have the ten tribes that go to the north. And Benjamin stays with Judah, mm-hmm. um, and and that is a significant thing that that you have Mordecai and you have Esther who are Benjamite. They are from that tribe, and they are preserving God's people, and they are still participating, even though they're not unthrown anymore. Even though that that is never going to be their promise again, they're still, uh, the Lord is using them to, to defend his promise and to carry out his will of preserving his people. Um, you know, that, that there's something to be said. You don't have to be the pastor. You don't have to be the teacher. You don't have to be the, the, the person on, on whatever board, uh, to be the person that also is there to defend what it is that the church is doing in the ministry of the Lord and, and the promises that the Lord has given. You can, you can be just like Mordecai who is going to be sitting at the gate every day. You can be just like Esther who is, is behind the scenes, you know, who very, very wise um, and very humble and, and is working towards the the betterment of what she knows to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these are callings that we have as people and, and they are very, very good callings that, that we can live in. Are we ready to, to maybe continue on a little bit? I don't know. Do you have any questions? I uh, don't have any questions other than, let me see, weren't women property to them? Yes, that was from a while ago. Yeah. Um, okay, and I'm sorry I didn't get it. But yes, they were. Um, for many, they, they were viewed as property. Like I said, they don't have a proper understanding of the roles of men and women. So they're right. they're fulfilling God's um, word in Genesis 3, or he will rule over you, that this is a, a bad thing that has happened throughout history and continues today, too. Absolutely. So uh, verse 11 in, in our section, every day Mordecai walked back and, uh, and forth in front of the harem to learn about Esther's well-being and about what was going, on, uh, going to be done with her. Every young woman received a turn to go to King Xerxes after she had received the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. For six months, they used oil of myrrh. For six months, perfumes and other beauty treatments for women. 
Then the young women went to the king. Everything she desired was given to her when she went from the harem to the king's palace. She went, this is verse 14, she went to the king in the evening. In the morning, she returned to the second harem under the supervision of Shahajgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She did not return to the king unless he was delighted with her and she was summoned by name. Okay, so yeah. this has this yeah. is the sixth commandment <laughs> issue. <laughs> they leave in the evening, they come back in the morning. This we'll is, let you figure out what happens between those two things. Yeah, this is the Holy Spirit um, in a very a very polite way of saying they were sexually used um, and then they were moved into um, being part of that property. That they were a concubine now. Right. And um, you see the the price. Oh, they they can yeah. name their price. Whatever their price was, then, okay, this, this is kind of all of this sick, twisted yep. game of using women for their bodies of, oh, well, we'll give you everything you want. What do you want? And then in return, you just have to... Yeah, sleep with the king. Sleep with the king. And, and then if the king really likes you, you can become queen. But, but he only is going to like you if you... Right. Perform well in this physical nature. It is a very debased and very sick type yeah. of thought. Um, but that's coming. F- so that's coming from our 20th century mindset where we look at this and we say, well, that shouldn't be. And I agree with you. I don't think it ever should be because they have no understanding of what what God has created in, in Genesis and the gift that God has given. But this is this is how the sinful nature works and and like you had said this is the this is the curse right um women would desire men who would be the way god created them to be to be the head of the house and to look out and and be christ for them and instead what do we get we get these men who are just ruling over in on on the flip side of that though you have mordecai and and mordecai is is this is going to become part of his nature which is amazing he he makes his dwelling or his, his his livelihood of standing in front of the gate to to watch over Esther even though she's she's out of his purview she's somewhere else he he's always there to make sure that she's safe always there to 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 really do what his calling was as as her adoptive parent uh which is I'm going to watch over you I I'm I'm not leaving and to do this work um and maybe there's something to be said about parents today right um, we, we get, and we're all, we're all part of it. You know, they get to be a certain age. We're like, oh, they're out on their own. We push them out. But you never end being a parent of, of watching over them and helping them and being there to, to give information and, and to be a part of their life. And I think Mordecai does a beautiful job uh, of sharing that. And it was difficult because what could he have done? I mean, I mean, obviously I'm speculating here. Like what, what power does he have? Could he like rescue her from the, te- from there? How long did he think that would last? Well, you had the whole idea of Vashti and all of that episode where if you displease the King, uh, th- this is, you know, you're going to bring down the, the ire of the Medes and Persian. And he may not have a eunuch there to defend him right. from whatever. So it's, I, I sense a powerlessness. Like he's there, He's watch. He feels compelled to watch over, but what can he possibly do other than walk back and forth? And I guess the Christian in us would say, "Well, why don't you? Why don't we see you pray, Mordecai? Why don't we see you um, uh, in like Daniel in your yeah. room? We'll open up the door to Jerusalem, pray to God. Why don't we see that?" And I, I think that would be that reflects to the point that you were bringing up before: is that these are these are real individuals who are struggling in a very 
uncertain time and an, uh, a very difficult time to live and to live to live in our calling as followers of God. Right. And you don't see, you see their weakness. You, you, you definitely see their weakness. And, and this is what I would say in, in response to that. Well, why didn't he pray? Well, why didn't you when something bad happened in life? Yeah. That wasn't the first thing you turned to. And it's not the first thing I turned to either. I'm not, I'm not casting stones. I'm not saying, oh, look at me, I'm better. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is the, the, the truth of the matter is many, many times we like to tell ourselves, we'll just do this. But when that happens to us, sometimes that's the very last thing we turn to as well. And, and so this is not an odd, this isn't odd. This is, this is life. This is good, bad, or indifferent. God is still, and, and this maybe says something to that, God about God, about yeah. God, that he works despite us. Yeah. You know, um, we are not of certain religious backgrounds. <laughs> you can say it. <laughs> We're not like the reformed that say, if I don't pray for it, God won't do. No. Yeah. Prayer brings me in line with God's will. Prayer brings me in line to know what his, his idea and goal is for my life. It does not change God. God will still be God because he is God. And 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 he will and the Trinity will still work in my favor because that is what he has promised and that is what he will do. He is always working for the good. And now sometimes I'm like how could that be good? Well, I'm narrow-minded and short-sighted. <laughs> I'm not God. And so how dare I say at this point at this time for this meaning it's whatever. I mean, you you got almost four years of time that is, that has transpired. Um, I mean, you have the, the ending of Vashti, you have the collecting of the, the virgins, you have a year that they're being prepared and then you got to go through them all. I don't know how mm. many there were. I mean, mm. you're almost at four years of time conservatively. And you're thinking to yourself, how's God working through this? Well, this, the, the whole tale is not even close to being done. Um, and yet the Lord is still working behind the scenes to, to do as well in the midst of sin, in the midst of sin. He's not wait not waiting for us to get our act together. Yes, absolutely. And what a beautiful thing. And the, the idea of Mordecai is standing, you know, making the paces, but throughout this whole story, God is there. And so God isn't on the wings waiting to, to come into, into the story. He's already in the story. And, uh, for Esther, I was just thinking like, what, how reassuring that was for her that she knew that Mordecai was out there. Cause those, obviously this was very scary for her to be in the, in, in, in the inner circle of the King who's got all the power. Right. What is that? What, what would that be like for a young woman to be like, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You have the eunuchs around you, but what about all everybody else? And it, I guess I'm, I'm using my imagination, but just the, how, how lonely she must've felt. Having Mordecai outside the door. Well, it's a competition too. Yeah, the competition. Yeah. <laughs> right. I hate to say it that way, but it's like the bachelor, bachelor, of the ancient world. Yeah, except if you don't get a rose, you could die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you don't perform well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that. That's. I mean, this yeah, is the. Anyway, but. Um, yeah. I go, like that. Go, this go, is go, the bachelor of uh, the ancient, ancient world. world. <laughs> now, if you watch the bachelor, this is going to color that. <laughs> All right, so moving on, um, let's let's go to the end, and then we can we can kind of wrap up uh, chapter one and two. So Esther uh, was the daughter of Abihail, Mordecai's uncle. So Mordecai had adopted her, 
when her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask for anything except what Hege, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, had advised. Esther won the approval of everyone watching her. Um, Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, during the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than he loved all the other women. Again, sixth commandment issue. Uh, She won his favor and approval more than all the other virgins did. I will leave that to your imagination. He placed the crown of the kingdom on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. And the king gave a banquet, great banquet, in honor of Esther for all his officials and administrators. He declared a tax holiday for the province and gave gifts as only the king could give. When the virgins were gathered together for a second time, Mordecai was sitting in the gatehouse to the king's palace. Esther had not revealed her family or her nationality because when Mordecai had been taken care of her, Mordecai had told her not to do so. And then when Mordecai was sitting in the king's gatehouse, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who controlled access to the entrance to the palace, became very angry and plotted to kill Xerxes. Verse 22, when Mordecai learned about this, he told Queen Esther she passed the report along to the king, crediting Mordecai by name. The matter was investigated, the charges were found to be true, and both of them were hanged. And this incident was recorded in the daily record book in the presence of the king. All right, so we got a couple of things that are are setting the, the base and the foundation. First of all, Sixth commandment issue all over. Um, and, 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 and you don't want to get crass or anything else about it. But the simple fact is Esther, this shows her one, it shows her humility and you can correct me and you can go a different way, but it shows her humility and it shows her wisdom. She recognized there's no way for me to get out of this. There's no good way for me to, to, um, to maneuver this event except to one go in as myself, without dressing, there's nothing here that will hide me. So it's either he will accept me as I am or not at all. And then, and, and I hate to say this, ladies, please do not kill me. She was compliant. And it, and, it, and I'm not saying that in, in, a, in a sleazy way. I'm saying that in that a very wise way. That yeah. she, she recognized, I, I cannot do anything else other than go through this. And so if I'm going to go through this, I'm going to go through this the very best that I can to come out on the other side. Yeah, that that's very, the, I think that's as most as a delicate as an answer as we can give because the, the, we have no idea what happens to these women after this event, like what happens to the rest of their life because now they've been violated for the rest mm-hmm. of their lives and what good are they in the rest of society? Like what, what are their options? That yeah. Those are questions that we don't answer. But we do have what's in front of us is that she... She takes advantage of the opportunity that she has to further herself, yep. and 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 like you like you said, it was a it's situation <laughs> where it's a horrible situation. Yeah, it's it's it, it. You cannot get beyond that. It's a horrible situation, but she, you know, um, there's a an old term. I'm sure I'm not the only person to ever say it. Embrace the suck. <laughs> yeah, that's a. It's not a Vietnam. That's a Vietnam uh, yeah. reference. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's one of those things where where unfortunately it's not going to get any better. This isn't. There's no good outcome to this. Um. So you you you, you got to do what you have to do to make it through to the other end. Um. And 
and I'm not saying that this is good. I'm not saying that this is this was um, prescriptive. It's not pres- prescriptive. It's not prescriptive, but it was. It shows her wisdom. It shows her wisdom and her humility in the sense of, I am placed here. I can do nothing else, but what I can do, I will do to the very best of my ability. Um, and and I think she approaches this and says, if I'm going to be called and used as a wife, I'm going to act the part, and I'm going to fulfill that duty. Um, and I see there is something into that. I, 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 and to me, maybe I'm reading into that too much, but I think that's what's going on is she says, okay, if I'm going to be used as a wife, if, if this is what he's looking for, I'm going to embrace that. I, I, I'm going to do that and, and I'm going to be the best that I can for it. Yeah. I have nothing but admiration. I'm, and yeah. some people might look at that and say, well, she could have stood up for this or that or the other thing. And you say you're, you weren't in that situation. I think that, um, and, and and the ends never justify the means. I understand no. that too. So it's just a, she's in a tough spot and the redeeming quality that we see in her is that she's going to take advantage of what she's put in front, what's put in front of her and say, sure. this is for uh, the best care for myself, perhaps for Mordecai. This is right. what, yeah. And and I think this also plays in a, into to another part of life that we don't like to always recognize, which is... Um, and in the spiritual realm, in in the religious realm, in the church realm, we can always we can sometimes paint things as, as as very black and white. There's this, there's this, right? There's the good choice, and there's the bad choice. Um, but sometimes in real life, there's the shade of gray, and 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 you're finding what can I do within the shade of gray um, that is going to be the best out of the bad choices that I have. Yeah, oftentimes in Christian ethics, it's it is a. a you have it. We had this when we were talking about the ethics of vaccines, you know, two years ago. Oftentimes, there's two decisions that both of them are bad, right. but you got to pick one. Right. So, in her case, she picked the the option that served her the best. Right. And she did well. And she it's, she it's a success. Um. So so as it, as it goes, she she's humble. She goes in. She she she, she does doesn't ask needs. for anything, right? No, she does not ask for anything. She goes as she is. Um, and that, that is appealing to other people. So you have, uh, what I said to the kids and as I taught this, and I think it's something that can be said here is not only is she shapely and good looking as the scriptures so wonderfully, um, tell us, but she has wisdom, she has humility, um, and she has courage. Um, and I think these are all beautiful traits. Like I said to, uh, um, and we're going to find this further on as we read about Esther. I said to the to the boys in in the class. I said, I said, when you are looking for your spouse, I said, don't just look at the how she looks in a pair of jeans or whatever. I said, the humility of a Christian woman, the wisdom of a Christian woman, and the courage of a Christian of a Christian woman to and and here's where the courage comes in: the courage of a Christian woman to do what God has called us to do. And and in this case, for Esther especially, has called her to be a wife who is, I know we say, well, subservient. That was her call. And she had the courage to embrace it and still work within it. Um, There is something to be said about the, the Christian woman who embraces her call and works within it to the very best of her ability with all of the strength and courage and wisdom and guidance of the Lord. And, and, and we see that in her. And I said, those are women that you want to have. And I, then I told the women, I said, vice versa. I said, at all possible. I mean, don't marry Xerxes. Don't marry a Xerxes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, find that, find that, find that husband who, who is um, going to be the hero 
Find the one who's going to be like the Mordecai, who's going to be, no matter where you are, pacing back and forth with your best interests at his heart. Um, granted, I know they didn't have that relationship, but you want a guy like that, right? Right, yeah. And, and that's what you want to seek out. So I, I, there's some wonderful illustrations here for, for us. Um, so we, we come to the end. Here's the point that, that, that why we had all this lead up, because at the end of chapter two, you will have the very nugget of what's going to come back in chapter six. So chapter six is going to have, have some, uh, um, real connections to, to what was written down in that, in, in, in that chronological event of the king's life. And, and when in chapter six, you need it the most, the Lord's bringing it back. And so this isn't a coincidence. This is the Lord playing the great Tetris game. Um, Mm -hmm. and as people sin, he's moving things around for the good of his people. And so we're going to see that coming. That's it for, for chapters one through two. I, I mean, what else do you want to say? Um, did we read the rest of chapter two? We did. Okay. We, we read. So Mordecai, he comes in. He uh, um, So just to, to, to give summation, Mordecai, he, he hears as he's walking around the gate, hey, these people are going to try to assassinate the king. And he tells Esther and Esther says, hey, Mordecai, the guy out there pacing back and forth, he heard this and, and the king is able to stop it. And that's what's recorded. Um, so the Lord is placing not only the character of Mordecai, the character of Esther, um, in with this volatile king who is already thinking people are out to get him. And and now we have the the makings of a story. Makings of a story. Anything else? Otherwise, uh, that's, I think, it for us before we go into the post show. Yeah, I was, <clears throat> I do, I was going to ask you, okay. why are you reading this book with your kids if the Lord is not mentioned, if Jesus isn't mentioned in it <laughs> at all in this, because you're in such a big, like, Jesus is in the Old Testament, either in the New Testament too, obviously, but in the Old Testament, Jesus is here. Why did you choose to read the book of Esther for your uh, seventh and eighth graders and, and your Bible class? Um, the main reason is, is because it's a book that I think a lot of people avoid. Um, for that very very reason where they're like, well, there's no God in here and there's no Jesus in here and there's no spirit in here and there's no prayer in here. And and I wanted to let my kids know that that just because you in language may remove Jesus, that doesn't remove Jesus. <laughs> that that just because um, you, you may live and you will live in a time period and in a world where you might not be able to call on his name, that doesn't make him not there. Um, or if you are in a, in a place in a business where where people are going to forbid him uh, entrance doesn't make him not able to come and do what needs to be done. Um, and I think it's it's just a it's a wide open it, it, it makes a wide open conversation for our kids to be able to stop and, and say in the Christian world in which I've been growing up in the bubble in which that I have been placed, I have a great opportunity to to freely say the name of the Lord and freely worship him and freely um, engage in that conversation. But but when you go into the greater world, you might be forced to do some things um, that you have no choice over and, and you'll have bad choices presented after bad choice that's presented. And and very easily you can say, where is the Lord in this? And and yet he is still there. And, and here is him working. Here's the perfect example of it. That That's kind of where I went and, and why kind of did that so i don't know if that's a great answer it that's, probably a, that's isn't. a great way to wrap up the show it is 
If I was on cue for the music. <laughs> you got the flashy buttons. That's all <laughs> under your control. 